Welcome to the Way of the Disciple book study, brought to you by Sushipe. Our reflection on chapter 8, titled, The Disciple Contemplates the Mother, will be led by Zach Krieger from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Hey all, uh, I'm excited to be able to go through this last uh, chapter with you on Mary. Really, our, our whole retreat, our whole discussion of discipleship has given us so many uh, good ideas and some practical insights. But we're going to end this little retreat with where discipleship to Christ began with Mary. Mary was the first disciple of Jesus. Mary knew about Jesus before anyone else knew about Jesus. Mary tried to wrap her mind around all the complex doctrine and the beautiful person before anyone else. And she knows him so much more intimately than all the rest of us. Right? And so we get to look at all the things we've been reading, whether they be big abstract ideas, which don't substitute the word abstract for like pointless or not practical because that's not what it means. It means it's a huge idea that we take from our experience and then we remove it from that experience and we look at it in a huger, grander way. And then after we do that, we try to put it back into a concrete expression through uh, a new lived way of life. So don't think of abstract as um, not able to act out of things, right? Like it, all the abstract quote unquote things that we've been given from uh, Maricacus in this book can all inform the way that we live. But all these things find their concrete expression in Mary. And we can look to her life for the perfect model, the perfect mold of what it means to be a disciple. And this is really the heart of what the great Marian apostle, St. Louis de Montfort, is trying to teach Right? He's a very kind of misunderstood, and some of his language, I don't know if it's a translation error or uh, just, uh, um, you know, he's, he's doing something for rhetorical effect and we're kind of taking it very literally, or if we just don't understand the theological richness that he's showing us in, in all of his writings. But uh, sometimes he can be kind of cast aside uh, by some as... Um, either being like too Mary centric or going too far, or, you know, sometimes we, uh, we shy away. I know I have Protestant relatives and, uh, I would kind of shy away from speaking about my total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because, uh, like, how do you defend that language? In some way, I think it's probably wise, you know, don't start there, start with something else. But in some way, I think there's this sense of we don't know what to do with our devotion to Mary. Right? And a lot of the ways that we maybe approach uh, reading or contemplating her life and our devotion to her is a way of talking ourselves into this being okay. And I think what um, Erasmo is doing in this last uh, chapter is showing us that this is founded right in the heart of what it means to be a disciple, devotion to Mary. So before talking about some of the ideas in the chapter, and really I do want to bring St. Louis de Montfort in here because this chapter is basically an introduction to tr- uh, the consecration, to the uh, total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, you got the entire theology laid out right here. 
you can combine some of our other ideas with it, but here it is. Before that, I want to give a little bit of a personal testimony to the power of the Blessed Virgin. I remember I was sitting in mass my, my sophomore year of college over Christmas break, and I was leading a very hedonistic lifestyle. Actually, I had my moment. St. Augustine says the worst sin that he committed was he stole a pear from a tree while he's walking down the street with his friends. And he just threw the pear away. He didn't steal it because he was hungry. He didn't steal it to give it to anyone. He just stole it to steal just out of spite. And he said it was being with these friends that had made him steal that fruit. And I had a very similar experience when I was in college. I was sitting in a dorm room playing a Game Boy and watching movies with my friends, which is a normal college thing. But the thing is, I had slept in that morning out of laziness because I had been spending my day before doing things that college students do that was destroying my holiness, destroying my soul, but I didn't realize that. I'd slept in, I'd been sluggish and not gotten to Mass that morning. And I knew that Mass was coming up, my last chance for Mass was coming up. Now, I didn't really get the whole sense of mortal sin, but I knew there was one mortal sin in the world, at least in my mind there, and that was to miss Sunday Mass. I knew that that was a direct cutting off of my relationship with the Lord. And so I was sitting here playing my Game Boy, enjoying myself with my friends and looking and saying, well, this movie doesn't end in time for me to get over to Mass. And I kept nudging back the time that I would leave. I, I wagered with myself, okay, I can give myself 15 more minutes, 20 more minutes, 30 more minutes. And there came a decision point where I said, I am sitting here doing this thing and choosing this above God, or I'm going to stand up and push back against this in a very slight way and go to mass. And I chose to sit down fully knowing what I was doing and watching this movie and playing this Game Boy and I watched the minutes tick past and I even looked after the clock hit six when mass was going to begin and I kept thinking I could leave and still be late. You know, I'd be not there in the correct way. I would not receive the Eucharist, which I shouldn't have been receiving in the first place, but at least I wouldn't be severing my relationship with God and I just let that time pass. And I was sitting in this mass after this had happened, and I'd been so ashamed. That was the thing I was most ashamed about. I was afraid to go to confession about this thing, um, or I just, you know, once again, kind of let things pass. And I was just sitting in this very lukewarm place where I said, well, eventually I'll kind of get a confession. And, and then I kind of had rationalized what had happened to me or what had happened to me, what I'd chosen to do. I'd said, you know, I'd, oh, maybe I just, you know, I didn't look at the time. It wasn't my fault, all this other kind of stuff. Um, and I was sitting in Mass on this Christmas break, and these things were just popping up because I was sitting next to my mom, and all these things were affecting my conscience and flooding on me. But like you're sitting here, and people think that you're practicing the faith. The priest knew who I was because I did music for the church growing up and all this stuff. And I realized I was living a double life. And I was sitting, and my conscience was affecting me. And then the priest preached on the 15 promises of the rosary. 
And one of those promises is that those who devoutly pray the rosary won't go to hell. Now, this is not a superstitious thing. There's a whole lot that goes with that. But there's this idea of those who are devoted to this meditation, spending even just like 1% of your day right, on praying and meditating on the mysteries with the Blessed Mother and calling upon her aid in the last moments of our life, um, you know, would receive that grace of conversion. That's what that is supposed to be. But I thought that this was a hack. This was a way out. So I said, okay, God, I will convert. But it was, once again, St. Augustine's prayer. I will convert, but not now. I will convert later. But I will pray the rosary. Please do not send me to hell because that's what I saw God as. He was a threat. Right. Um, and so I began to pray the rosary on commercial breaks. I'd mute the TV and I'd power through a decade. And I had not placed terms on like time limits on this promise. And so God kind of intervened. And I saw within a few weeks, I found that I was doing what I was meant to do on commercial breaks. The commercial breaks were the only time that I felt any type of ease in my life, not ease, but like peace in my life. I'm like, well, that's disordered. It's a commercial break. But God entered through that moment through the prayers of our lady. And over the next few months, I struggled. I kind of fought against the conversion that our lady was working in me, that Christ was working in me through our lady. But I started to give over more and more and more. And over that next summer, when I'd had this conversion, I made a full confession. I'd come back into communion with our Lord. I came upon the total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, which makes sense that I would do that. She won me my conversion. And what I found throughout the last 12, 13 years of on again, off again, really meditating and praying on this idea of total consecration is what St. Louis de Montfort has taught us, that Mary is the mold for holiness, that we're poured into, that we can be handed over to Christ and perfected, right? So if we give stones or trash or whatever to God, she turns it to gold, to jewels. She perfects and hones uh, all of our prayers and all of our feeble attempts, right? She's the queen mother. And so I think that's what Erasmo of Americacus is giving us. We have so little in scripture for her for how much devotion we have. But once again, that just adds to her mission. That just adds to our identity as a disciple, that she truly was placed secondary to Christ. That her yes is totally overshadowed by Jesus, even in his infancy, before he could pick his head up. Her yes made Christ manifest to those farther from him, the shepherds, the magi. And so Erasmo gives us her as a model, right? as a true disciple. And this line is the one I want to leave you with and th uh, to think about and to meditate on as you go forward from reading this book, through pondering and praying with this book, and to really help you to make this fruitful in your life. He says that Jesus shed his blood, poured out every drop of his blood for our salvation, but it's Mary that gave him that blood through her yes. right? And so I think we 
can take that as our model for how to be a disciple and how to unite our lives and to become divinized in Christ through being poured into his model. And so God bless as you put this into your life as you continue to ponder all these mysteries that have been given. It's been great being with you these last eight weeks. And, uh, and I hope that this becomes very fruitful in your life going forward. Hey everyone, it's Eric Gallagher, the founder of Sushipe. With Advent quickly approaching, I wanted to invite you to join our upcoming book study that will begin on November 29th. Fred and Kara from the organization Draw Near will be leading us through a chapter a week book study on the popular text, I Believe in Love, a personal retreat based on the teachings of St. Therese of Lisieux. Each week, Fred and Kara will offer a simple reflection on a chapter and will guide online discussions through the Sushipe platform. This is an excellent book and opportunity for anyone who's desiring to grow in their spiritual life. Find out more by visiting sushipe.co slash study. That's S-U-S-C-I-P-E dot C-O slash study.